Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Man, great to be with you today. It's already been a great day of worship. And uh, I, let me echo what Phil said. We have a great time at 930 and uh, it's not really that cold, honestly. But uh, yeah, if you can join us tonight, that'd be great as well. Good to have you with us. It's good to gather in the house of the Lord and feel the warmth of you. Um, man, in the days we couldn't meet live, that was hard. It's hard not to be able to you know, see each other's faces as handsome as all the men are, I think, mostly. Uh, and beautiful as the ladies are, but it's just great to have that sense of the brotherly love, and it's so good to be with you all today as we gather. And yeah, as Philip said, our vision is simply to make Jesus known. Let's don't get all wound up in all kinds of confusing issues. Let's just make Jesus known. That's our goal. That's what we're all about. We do that here. Uh, we make Jesus known by loving Jesus and loving others. So I don't know about you. But that's not natural, is it? Some of you are really good at it, probably. It's, there may be somebody in your life who says, man, I'm just having trouble loving them. Listen, I, I, need you to, I need you to come before the Lord. Lord, help me love them. We want to love others. We want to love Jesus by worshiping Him through preaching, through prayer, through creativity, through serving others. We want to we love others by building relationships, building friendships through family life, through life groups, through fellowship and intentional relationships building with others, with people in our community and beyond. That's what we're all about, making Jesus known. So um, that's what you're going to be hearing constantly, and I hope that that's something that resonates with you. Yeah, we're in this series called Be the House, and it's a story of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's when God calls his people back to their land. They've been in exile. They've been away. As a result of their rebelliousness, their idolatry, their failure to worship, God has allowed them to be carried away from the place of worship and allow that place to be destroyed. So as we think about being the house, in Ezra and Nehemiah, there are three themes we've got to keep in mind. And I, I think these three themes are so encouraging for us today. First of all, that God is out of control, right? No, God is firmly in control. He's in control. I want you to wash over, well, let that wash over you for just a moment. Whatever you're facing, whatever challenges you have, there's a place where we need to come and just say, you're in control, Lord. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Secondly, that God, and this is so encouraging, God works through his people to accomplish his purpose, doesn't he? So we have a role even people like you and me, we have a role that God wants to work through us to accomplish His purpose. And we talk about that a lot, but sometimes we just need to sit back and go, wow, that's incredible. That God would in fact choose to work through someone like me. So grateful for that. And then finally, God uses His Word to convict and encourage. Are you grateful that God convicts you? I mean, honestly, or would you rather him just say, you know what, you're awesome, Steve, don't worry about it, you're fantastic, you can just keep on sinning and being far from me. 
No, I'm grateful that he convicts, that his word speaks into my life and says, this is where you need to make adjustment. This is why you're struggling. God's word convicts, but then it encourages. Once we come to the place where we say, God, I, I, I agree with you about me. I, I, you're right. I need to repent, and I want you to change me. I, I want to be like you. There's repentance, and then in that, there should be, after that, there's incredible encouragement. When he washes that sin away, and when he lifts our face and our eyes and says, you need to be encouraged. I've forgiven you. There should be incredible encouragement in the word of God as we're convicted even. God loves us enough to not leave us the way we are. So these are the themes of Ezra and Nehemiah as we begin today. Ezra chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And the title of this first message is The Stirring. The Stirring. Some of you may remember that uh, Reggie Jackson once made a uh, notable remark when he was playing for the Yankees. He says, I'm the, I'm the rod that stirs the drink. Do you remember that? I stir everything up. And that was a tumultuous team, but he was a great player, and he could actually do it, and he probably was telling the truth. But there are things in our lives that stir us up. I would say that maybe this time in our country, people are stirred up more than ever. I mean, people are stirred up. There is a sense of something has to be done. Whatever side you're on, you're passionate about it probably. And there's a sense of being stirred up and being moved and being constantly talking about political things. Or there's also a sense of being stirred up because of COVID, right? Well, I don't know if I can be around this person. I don't know if I can be around that person. I don't know. What do you do? How many people are you in contact with? Uh, am I wearing a mask? Are we doing this? Are we doing that? There's a, there's a sense of, am I going to take the vaccine? When is the vaccine going to be available? There's all these things people are passionate about and they're stirred up about. But there's also something that I think we don't get stirred up, stirred up enough about. And that's the fact and the purpose and the mission that we have as people to be used by God to save people from a devil's hell and to move them into heaven. That's the thing that should stir us up more than anything else. This is the opportunity that we have. We should be stirred up about bringing people to the place where they know Jesus Christ. I'm so glad to see my good friend Jim Bast here today. Hello, Jim. Hello, Dot. Jim and Dot, thank you for your faithfulness praying for your son, Jim, for all these years, and to see him come to Christ. Amen. Lord, continue. He prayed all the time, constantly. Every time I would talk to Jim, it would be, was, pray for my sons, pray for my sons. It was an urgency with him, a stirring in your soul, Jim, that I saw in your eyes pretty much every time we talked. We need to be stirred up about the purpose that God gives us and the opportunity. It's It's incredible. I really believe that in this time, we've shared this many times, that as God is stirring our world to instability, he's moving people to look to him for stability. I believe there's this incredible opportunity for revival happening in our country right now. As we understand what really matters and what we really do have control over is that Jesus Christ is moving through his church to bring the world to the place where they can know Jesus. So that's what it's all about. Ezra chapter 1 Beginning in verse 1, excuse me, I have my microphone on wrong. There we go. I think I can help me, help me. Thank you. 
Sometime you've got to get Clarence to do his preacher voice for you. It's really good. I didn't want to embarrass him, have him do it up there, but he, it's really good, really good. Um, yeah, Ezra chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says this, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Crazy verse if you just think about it. A lot of verses, first verses in books, we kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, that's just kind of the... Get what, get what the word of God is saying here. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So we have a king of the world who's Cyrus. And God moves and stirs up in Cyrus something that he wants him to do in order to fulfill God's promise. A couple things we've got to see here and not miss in this first verse. Number one, God absolutely keeps his promises. He is absolutely steadfast in his love for us. He doesn't say things and not do them. He absolutely is faithful. So much so that he made a promise through the prophet Jeremiah that the people of God would be going into exile because of their rebelliousness and because of their distance from God. They would be taken away to, to Babylon. They'd be conquered. Their place of worship, the temple, would be destroyed. All this had happened because of their sin. But God said, I will bring you back. I will bring you back. He said the years in Babylon will be not more than 70, and they turn out to be about 50. And he says, I'm going to bring you back. I will be faithful to my promise. What promises are you believing for God to perform today? What promises have you built your life on? Let me just give you three, because I think it's really important that we understand that we live in an age of promise that God will absolutely fulfill. And there's a lot of them, but the very simple way to look at this is John 3.16 says what? That God loved, God gave His only Son. So that anyone who believes, and that word believes means to trust, to say, I believe what you say about me is true, Jesus. I believe that I'm a sinner and I need for your blood to pay for my sin. Anyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Will not perish, but will have eternal life. That's a promise. Trust results in eternal life. I'm believing him for that today, and I hope you are too, to believe that Jesus Christ has paid the price for my sin, and I am trusting him for eternal life. God absolutely keeps his promises. Matthew 28 Jesus makes this great commission before he ascends, and he says, he says, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Here's your assignment. And we kind of think, that's it. Oh, but that last phrase. But lo, I am with you always. Always. He's with us always. That's a promise. He does not abandon you. No matter what's happened in your life, God's not left you alone. He, has, he is with you if you let Him. He'll never abandon you. He'll never leave you completely alone. He may not be in control of your life. You may be in rebellion, but He is with you if you're a follower of His. That's a promise. 
And he's absolutely true to his promise. And the third one, I just have to mention, Acts 1.8, what does he say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, and Delray Beach, and Florida, and the United States, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You will receive power. You have power. The Holy Spirit's power to accomplish God's purpose. He's absolutely faithful to his promises. Even if, and notice, he moves in the heart of Cyrus. Cyrus is not a godly man. Oh, he worships gods. He worships a lot of them. Cyrus is not someone who worships the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Cyrus is the king of the world. But notice what it says. It says, God stirred up the heart of Cyrus to do what God wanted him to do. So we need to understand, God can use any leader, anybody, as a matter of fact. God can even use Cyrus, a pagan leader. So I don't know where you are politically today, but I want to encourage you. God can use who's ever in control. Because God, their heart, he turns their heart wherever he wishes. God stirred up the heart of Cyrus. He keeps his promise by stirring up the king, and the king makes a proclamation. Listen to this. Ezra chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says this. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. Incidentally, third time that the text says king of Persia, and the emphasis is, understand, this is the king of the world. This is the man who is the king of the world. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Let me stop there. The king of the world says, the Lord has given me these kingdoms, and he had just finished conquering really most of the known world. The Persians through Cyrus had just overtaken Babylon the year before. And he says that God has given me this, and he's really saying that to a lot of, this is not the only um, religious system that he said this to. Cyrus's pattern was when he would take over an area, he would restore the gods and the religious practice of that area. That was kind of a thing he did. And it was a really pretty brilliant move, you think about it. It's hard to hate a king who encourages in your faith, right? It's pretty shrewd politically. But still, the text says that God stirred up his heart to say these things. This is God moving in Cyrus to do what God wants him to do. He says, The Lord of God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Incidentally, Cyrus used to take over. He would restore these um, religious practices, and he would ask those people to pray to your God for me. Really interesting kind of plan which was totally syncretistic and, and uh, uh, so, many, so many different gods. He was really kind of trying to cover all his bases is what he was doing. Um, verse 3, he says, Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Stunning. Not only do I want you to, so if you're somebody who came here in exile, 
that Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Israel 587 BC and had dragged off many of their um, many Israelites to Babylon. Many died in the process, but they took the best of them. You remember Daniel was taken. He was one of the ones that was taken into exile. And the people of Israel are in exile, and they settled in Babylon. If you remember your, you know your Bible, you know Jeremiah said, listen, while you're here, because some of the prophets would, would stand up and say, this is only temporary. It's only going to be for a short time. And God spoke through Jeremiah and said, no, you need to understand. It could be as long as 70 years. You need to understand that you need to seek what the good of the city Plant vineyards, give your kids in marriage. It's going to be a while. Seek the good of the area. But I will rescue you, and I will bring you back, was God's promise. And God is fulfilling his promise through Cyrus, who's giving a stirring opportunity. Go. And he said also, the people who live around you, they need to give to you, to help you go, to provision you, to be able to go, and to rebuild this temple. It's an interesting time. Cyrus is giving them an opportunity and really even a platform to rebuild worship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A time in history when God's connection to the people could be rebuilt. Because remember what the temple is, right? The temple is the place where God meets with his people. It's the place that originally was a tabernacle in the wilderness, a tent, and then Solomon built a temple, a place where Sin was atoned for, where people worship, where people could connect with God, and God would meet with them. That's what the temple was. That's what the symbol was. They've been in Babylon all these years, and their worship has waned. They probably did some form of worship, but they couldn't actually go to the temple. They were distant from God. And here's Cyrus saying, now's the time to rebuild that temple. Now is a great opportunity for you to pursue worship of the God of heaven. 245 years ago, something similar happened in the United States of America. God moved in some forefathers of ours to create a nation where the church could flourish. I don't know if you know, but in America, prior to the Declaration of Independence, early on, there was a lot of religious persecution for those who weren't of the church of the state. But because of the formation of this nation, we have religious freedom. We have great liberty. Yes, it's being infringed on. Yes, it's dangerous that we may lose it. But right now, we have an opportunity for the church to flourish. And we have the favor, really, of our nation. It's an incredible opportunity for us to continue to build our churches, to build our relationship with Jesus, to send missionaries. We have this incredible place called America that we need to treasure. We need to treasure because we have the opportunity to build worship in this place and around the world. It's an incredible, stirring opportunity that we have. But the question is, just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean anybody's going to do anything about it, right? Here's your opportunity. Will you actually go and do something? Will the people of God move? Will he stir in their hearts? Verse 5 says this, Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, Everyone whose spirit God has stirred up to go and rebuild the house of the Lord, that is in Jerusalem. God stirred in the heart of a leader. God stirred in the heart of his people. God provided opportunity, and God moved his people to take that opportunity. To go and to leave Babylon and to rebuild the temple. 
And you wondered, when did that happen? Did it happen before or after Cyrus began to to make that edict? I kind of think it probably happened at the same time. They said, there's going to be an opportunity. We can go back. And God was stirring in their heart probably exactly the same time that, yes, that's what we've longed for. We wanted to go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild our life as followers of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the people go back. And they go back to rebuild the temple. But God didn't stop there. To give them even more encouragement, God moved in the heart of the Babylonians to support them, to do what Cyrus said. And people gave to them, much like the Egyptians gave to the children of Israel right before they were, the exodus happened. You remember that? They gave them all their gold and silver and they walked out very wealthy. And God's doing the same thing here. The Babylonians gave to them in verses 6-11 through 11, describes the gold and the silver that God gave to the children of Israel to be provisioned to go build the temple. And not only that, but Cyrus opened up the treasury and he gave them 5,400 utensils that were taken from, taken from the original temple by Nebuchadnezzar 50 plus years before. It's incredible. Oh, here's all the stuff that you guys had. Here's all these gold and silver, um, uh, all, all these implements, all these uh, basins, all these ba- basins, all these bowls, all these things that you use to worship. Here it is. Take it back. What a move of God. What a move of God. God stirred the heart of a leader. He stirred the heart of a people. He stirred the heart of the Babylonians. Let me ask you a question. Is he stirring you? Is he stirring in your heart? You see, the people could not build the temple in Babylon. And neither can we. We often find ourselves far from God. Have you ever found yourself far from God? Maybe you're a follower of his. Maybe you accepted him years ago, but you got away and you got distant. And you woke up one morning and you said, how in the world did I get here? I'm sure the children of Israel must have felt that way. They had gotten far from God so much that they'd been hauled off into exile. A long way from God. A long way from worship. And they woke up and realized, it's time to go back. God stirred in their hearts and said, it's time to go back. But it's not real easy to get back from Babylon. It's a long way. You see, Babylon is the place, and in, and in history, and in biblical history, Babylon is the place of self-centeredness. Babylon is the place where we replace God with us. Remember how Babylon got started? Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. The people said, we're going to build a tower so we can be as high as you, God. We're going to build it to the heavens. So we don't really have to listen to you anymore. And they built this huge tower and God went down and what did he do? He confused their language so they had to spread across the globe. When we try to be God, we get confused. We're not God. Babylon is the place where I get to tell God, this is how I want to live. I know better than you. Babylon is the place of self-centeredness. God, I don't want to listen to you. I want to pick and choose what I decide is right. See, that's how the world lives. We live 
in Babylon. If we're not careful, we can have our lives sucked into Babylon. You have to leave Babylon in order to build the temple. You have to leave the place of beauty. Babylon was known for beauty. They had the hanging gardens, which were, was one of the seven wonders of the world at one time. It's a place where beauty was worshipped. Babylon had its own law, its own rules, and certainly our culture today has its own law and its own rules that are different from the laws of God. We have to leave that in order to follow Him. We have to leave the idea that I need to cover all my bases and make sure that everyone is okay with how I'm living instead of saying, I, I want to live the way God told me to live. Right? I have to leave Babylon if I want to build a relationship. Let me ask you, are you ready to leave Babylon? What are the things in your life that you need to set aside? Say, God, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live building your temple. Because remember, our call as followers of Jesus is to be the temple, be the place as people, as as individuals, and as a church where people can meet Jesus Christ, where worship can happen. See, when God stirs our hearts, it's time to rise up. It's time to leave Babylon. It's time to build the temple. You may be saying, well, Steve, I don't, how, do you, how do they do that? And I'm thinking if I was in Babylon at the time and I was uh, one of the Israelites, I'd be thinking, you know, I'm not so good with a hammer and chisel. I'm not a great builder. I don't really know how to build. What do I do? You know, so they, they didn't ask that question. They just went. They just decided, we're going to go and rebuild the temple. We're going to trust God to show us what to do. Our decision today is, will I decide to leave Babylon, the place of comfort, the place I know, the place where I built a life of comfort even though I don't really belong there? The question is, will we leave Babylon today? And you may say, well, Steve, why? Why? I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at. I I've come to a kind of a detente with God, and I'm really okay. You know, the only reason to leave Babylon and to build the temple is if God is stirring in your heart. That's the only way I can really describe it. I'm not here to convince you. All I want us to do is understand if God is stirring in your heart to say you need to leave something and you need to follow me, you need to build that temple, you need to take steps to follow me, you need to be a person that's all about Jesus more than any other idea, and that's what you're known for. See, that's when you're the temple. So often we're known for something else. We need to be known as followers of Jesus. We need to be known as temples of the Holy Spirit. And the only reason to do that, the only reason to go is if you feel a stirring. You feel a stirring. I hope you feel a stirring coming into worship. I hope you feel a stirring when you're led in worship. I hope you feel a stirring when you see one baptized. I hope you feel a stirring when you hear the word preached. I hope you feel a stirring when we pray. Do you feel a stirring this morning? Do you feel the Spirit moving in your heart? If so, rise up and rebuild. Rise up and rebuild. Say to God this morning, God, I want this year, 2021, to be the year that I'm your temple. I want to eliminate everything else that keeps me from being your temple, and I want to be the place that people can know you. 
That's what I want to be known as. I don't have to convince everybody. I just want to be the place that people can know you. We can help you with that. Many opportunities for you to take steps to be that temple. I'm leading some men right now through a book on apologetics, answering the question, why in the world do I believe what I believe? How do I answer things with a sweet spirit? We have many life groups, many opportunities for you to grow. The most important thing is you're going to show up. I want to be there. I long to be the temple of God, not because I'm prideful and think I'm wonderful, because the Spirit is stirring within me. Is that you today? Would you say to Jesus, I want to be your temple in 2021. I want to leave Babylon behind, and I want to be your temple. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.